0: Hello and thanks for tuning in to this episode of the ALT Learn podcast. I'm John Tate and I'll be your host as we break down the craft of teaching and the science of learning, what this pedagogy looks like in the classroom, and get to find out how our teachers are turning all this theory into practice. So let's dive into this week's episode. Welcome to another episode of the ALT Learn podcast where we've got a great episode lined up for you today discussing how we can identify and support students with dyscalculia. So I'm pleased to say that alongside me on today's show, we have another external guest of the podcast, Junie Halligold. Junie is an independent educational consultant specializing in dyscalculia and dyslexia and has been a Singapore maths trainer for the UK-based Maths No Problem since 2014. She is particularly passionate about the teaching of maths and finding ways to support learners with dyscalculia and general maths learning difficulties. Judy is an Associate Tutor for Edge Hill University and the British Dyslexia Association, a published author with several titles on maths for neurodivergent learners, including a most recent publication, Can I Tell You About Dyscalculia? So a warm welcome to the podcast, Judy, and a big thanks for coming on to discuss with me today.
1: Thanks, John. It's lovely to be here and uh, looking forward to it very much.
0: Brilliant. Right. Well, let's get kind of into it straight away. And I've got a series of questions that I really want to kind of dive into here. And um, I really want to start with, Let's look at what dyscalculia is, because it was certainly not a term that I'd come across until later in my career. So can you begin by giving us an overview of what it is and how it might present itself in our young people in our classrooms?
1: Yes, absolutely. So dyscalculia is quite still poorly understood. It's kind of where dyslexia was 20 or 30 years ago. So Not many people are aware of it. Uh, There's not a lot of training for it for teachers Um, and it really is something that's very different from more general maths learning difficulties. So it's a very specific difficulty with number and our number system. People with dyscalculia haven't associated the numerical magnitude to the numerical symbol so when they see the number three they're not imagining three items in their head Mm -hmm. so it's a very specific difficulty to do with our numbers and our number system they may well uh, be okay in other areas of maths like shape and space and that kind of thing Um, so it's very very much grounded in core number difficulties
0: Mm, really interesting. And like I said to you before, it's certainly not something I'd kind of come across at all, really, in my earlier kind of teaching career. And I think that, and that's, that's really the importance of these discussions, isn't it, of actually widening that kind of appreciation of what it is, and how it might actually present that presenting itself in lots of students in front of us, without us even knowing. And I think that that's really important, isn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I think sometimes there is a confusion as to what where dyscalculia begins and maths difficulties, more general type of difficulties, end. Really, there's an overlap between Mm. the two, and I think the important thing to think about is general maths difficulties tend to be due to external factors, Mm -hmm. like you know we've just had a pandemic, so maybe Mm -hmm. you've missed a lot of schooling, you haven't understood fractions or place value or something like that. So lots of children have maths learning difficulties for a variety of external reasons but dyscalculia is a difference in the way that the brain is wired so it's more of an internal difficulty and um, that's going to be lifelong and it may well be that those children also have external difficulties mm-hmm. as yeah. well so it can be difficult sometimes to to really separate out what's the dyscalculia and what's more general maths learning difficulties
0: Got you. Right. So for for for, for teachers listening um, or for leaders listening, for anybody listening, really, if they're thinking, right, I've got that now. I understand that. I kind of know what it is now. I, I might not have known it before. But if they're looking at their kind of classes, either in their head now and thinking, right, all those students in my classes, how would they start to identify potentially a student that might have dyscalculia? And what are the signs that they might be able to pick up on that, that that this might be the case, that they kind of can start to think actually this might be this, rather than, as you said, a wider, you know, a wider kind of special needs or of kind of or, or struggling with masks. Why what, what might they see?
1: So really specifically, what they might see is a child who is unable to subitize. Now, subitizing is our ability to immediately identify how many items there are in a set of objects without actually counting them. So for example, if if you or I were looking at a bowl of fruit with four apples in the bowl, we would just look at it and say, well, there's four apples. We wouldn't have to count them individually. And typically uh, we can subitize up to about five items. Anything more than that, then we're moving into Mm -hmm. a different type of perception. But up to about five is what we can subitize and dyscalculic children, dyscalculic learners really struggle with that. And that that can persist all the way through to adulthood. So it's quite an easy thing for teachers to do if they just throw a few counters onto the table, four or five counters um, and ask the learner how many counters there are. If they don't immediately say four, Mm -hmm. or they don't immediately say five, then that would make me think, okay, there may be something else going on here. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that would certainly be one thing. And I think the other thing to look out for is the unexpected nature of the difficulty. So often people with dyscalculia are absolutely fine with everything else. So their literacy is fine, their Mm -hmm. their school attendance is fine, everything is absolutely fine. And there's this unexplained difficulty in maths, unexpected, unexplained. and, and the subitising. Those are the kind of key things to look out for.
0: Mm. And, and I suppose, you know, we're kind of really focusing on maths there, but it's not just maths that this is an issue for, is it? You know, because actually the amount of numeracy and math skills that students need to be competent in across other curriculum subjects it's uh, it's not just maths teachers that need to be kind of, you know, focused and aware of this, is it? Because actually, you know, in all our different curriculum subjects now, there needs to be that that kind of, you know, the, uh, the understanding of a basic ability to kind of use that functional maths across the curriculum. So it's just as important for everyone to be aware of this, isn't it?
1: Absolutely, definitely. And particularly in secondary school, you know, you've got math specialist teachers, but as you say, maths pervades into all different subjects across the the board. And I think the other thing as well to think about is the the heightened level of anxiety that a lot of these students have. So if you've got dyscalculia or maths difficulties, generally, you are going to be anxious and maybe have quite low self-esteem because Mm -hmm. you're believing that you're not very good at maths. And then that can kind of have an effect on your, your self-perception and your attitude to school and and your belief in in what you can achieve in other subjects as well. And quite interestingly, we have a lot of cases at university where Children have chosen a non-math subject because maths isn't their thing. Mm -hmm. So they may well go and do something like PE or something like that, where they perceive there isn't a lot of maths. But they get to university and they find that there's an awful lot of maths in everything that they do. So um, it's no getting away from it. You know, we need to really support these children to make sure that they can achieve the best that they can, even if they do have dyscalculia.
0: Absolutely. And certainly from, from our perspective at secondary school, looking at the different uh, data sources or analysis or graphs or, you know, the things that students have to either interpret uh, or make inferences from or actually create themselves, then straight away there's a, there's a huge amount of maths that wasn't in the curriculum 10, 15, 20 years ago, that now you're right, that that kind of basic level of understanding of uh, numerical data, what it is, you know, and that in immediate perception. Clearly, if somebody is 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 facing that kind of dyscalculia, they're going to have far more cognitive load and cognitive demands, because like you and I, like you said, can very quickly, there's four there, right? I can then, my brain can start doing something else. If they're then having to count all those four immediately, then that's creating far more cognitive demands, which suddenly makes some of those easier tasks or what we would think as a a, a kind of basic task, far more difficult, right from the offset, isn't it? Rather than then just being able to pick that up and kind of get on with it immediately. So yeah, I think that's really, really important. And One of the things I was going to kind of, kind of mention after what you'd said was, you know, we, we talked about kind of how we would might be able to identify that. And we, you know, like you said, put four counters or five counters and, and, and on, on a desk, but how do you, is there any difference in that in, in terms of as it, as it goes up through the school or into kind of college and university, are there different things that we would identify? Cause it feels that felt to me and I might be wrong in this, but that, that felt more like a, a, pr- a kind of an exercise for younger children and that kind of stuff. Is that, is that still relevant as we go up the school or might there be other things that, you know, 15, fifteen, sixteen year olds, if we're, if if teachers are thinking, actually, I'm sure this is the issue here. Are there other things that teachers will be able to identify and spot rather than kind of having to do something like that,
1: yeah, absolutely. I mean, the subitizing will persist into adulthood. I, I was. Uh, working with a, an adult over in New Zealand, and, and he was doing a master's degree in geology, a highly accomplished young man, but very, very dyslexic, very dyscalculic. And he was saying, you know, even as an adult, he couldn't subvertise, mm-hmm. he couldn't say how many apples there were in, in, in yeah. the bowl. So although it sounds like it's a very kind of early years thing, uh, the, the, the way that dyscalculic people understand number is, is not at all, you know, at a basic yeah, level. Yeah, yeah. And that, that will persist throughout. And the other thing I think is worth mentioning is that a lot of the issues that, that learners have in secondary school, and beyond that, are rooted in primary maths, they're rooted in place value and understanding our, our number mm-hmm. system. One thing that you may well find in, in older learners, is this idea that they, they just don't have any, any kind of Ballpark figure of what the answer is going to look like. So estimation is something that mm. we use a lot in maths. dyscalculate people may add twenty-seven and fifty-eight and get two thousand seven hundred fifty-eight and yeah. think that's fine. They yeah. don't have any kind of it's going to be round about a hundred. It's going to be round about a yeah. thousand. So they're not alerted to things like we would be to think, oh, we must have made a mistake because that answer's ridiculous. Um they don't have that, that kind of awareness. So that might be something that, you know, you notice in, in secondary school children. Um, this idea of magnitude processing as well, we know that with dyscalculic learners, there is a magnitude processing deficit, and the research is ongoing into this, but we, we see links with phonological awareness, interestingly and also with learners who have a difficulty in processing the passage of time. Mm -hmm. So it's not just that you can't tell the time, which is common with lots of children. Mm -hmm. They don't seem to have this inner sense of time so you and i know that about 15 minutes has passed in in this chat Uh um, but a dyscalculic person wouldn't know whether it was an hour two hours or two minutes so again that's something that you might spot with older learners they're in the wrong place at the wrong time you know they they uh, they're never kind of in in time for their lessons so that kind of thing you can notice as well
0: that's great i think that's really useful for for our listeners because uh that also brings into the wider appreciation of the kind of pastoral support because just what you said there about kind of not being in the right place at the right time or no concept of time actually it's not just in the lesson in the classroom we might see this we might see this in in wider kind of phases of their their, their personal development around school timekeeping those type of things or like you said those general estimations of You know, wildly kind of inflated. Mm -hmm. Whether it's how much money they've got, how much what it's going to cost, or those type of things. So I think it's really important to think about in in the wider sense. That's great. Um, Now I know we, 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 you you and I, and everyone listening will appreciate that every child is different, and not every kind of strategy is going to work with everyone. But in terms of kind of in terms of this, um, how can we better support students that that may experience dyscalculia? Then, and are are there any common strategies that our teachers can pick up and use tomorrow? And, And what sort of things would you advise if? either a teacher is listening who knows they've got somebody in their classroom like this or is suspecting they have and they're thinking what can i do better to kind of help this young person or these young people in my classroom whatever subject it is
1: yeah so there's quite a lot we can do i mean my number one thing always whatever age you are is using concrete manipulatives and visualization so that the learners As I say, whatever age, they need to be able to have some kind of manipulative to represent the maths. Now, in secondary school, that might be counters, coloured counters. It might be numicon. It, It might be diagrams. It might be using the bar model. But we need to get away from these children having to work at such an abstract level because it's not going to work for them. So. You know more of the same is never going to work for these learners we need to do something different and the best thing we can do for them is to give them manipulatives to represent the maths that they're working on and develop their ability to visualize so the more diagrams they can use the more manipulatives they use the better their visualization will be and when then you said, sorry
0: sorry when you at the start that you said kind of concrete manipulatives and it was a word that it was a that i hadn't really cared. i was like no what's this and then when you start to explain it i was like, oh yeah actual physical things in their hands yeah so because people might listen and thinking oh, what's this i need to be a math well, concrete yeah. yeah yeah but actually it's not it's just you know like you said rather than it being abstract and in their head of vision it well actually if i've got counters in front of me and i can have Three there, two there, eight there, whatever, you know, I think that's going to help. So I, I presume that's what you were talking about, isn't it? That's they? exactly
1: to... what I'm talking about. Perfect. Yes, yeah. And so it's just equipment, you know, and we tend to, as, as children get older, they, they use the equipment less and less. And I think there still is this pervading stigma around using equipment that children believe it's for the children that are struggling that have the equipment. And the ones that don't need it are the ones that are good at maths, mm-hmm. uh, inverted commas. Um, but I think, you know, we really need to get away from that. and. And once children see that the equipment is helping them to understand then they become more invested in it you will find that in a lot of secondary school children will just not use it mm-hmm. because they they feel there's the stigma around it but once they realize how helpful it can be and if it's made available to all children yeah. then that takes away the stigma of it as well so it should be on all tables at all mm-hmm. times for the the children to use and then i think the other thing is there are some really easy wins in teaching you know, often dyscalculic learners will not be able to remember their times tables. They just won't. Mm-hmm. And they won't be able to remember their number facts. And and so that is such a massive barrier to them to going to any higher level of maths mm-hmm. because they are just stuck mm-hmm. because they can't remember their tables. Yeah. So give them their tables. Them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's yeah. an easy win. And I've seen lots of lessons in secondary school, one in particular, when they were doing a lesson on equivalent fractions. And it was a bit of a car crash of a lesson, yeah. to be honest. And um, and when we came out, the teacher said, oh, they, they just didn't get it. They didn't get it. And uh, they just don't know their times tables. And I thought, yeah, but it wasn't a lesson on the times tables. It was a lesson on equivalent fractions. And if you'd have given them their times tables, they would have understood the concept of equivalent fractions. So there are easy wins, you know, that we, we can do on a day to day basis to just say, right, if this is the barrier, we can take that barrier away by giving you your, your multiplication tables. Definitely.
0: Um, and, and and certainly I think that that ring really kind of chimes with me and rings a bell in terms of we're doing lots of work in, across the trust at the moment. And I know lots of schools and trust are across the country and across the world in terms of identifying what is the core knowledge that our students need to know in order to know more things. And, and you're yeah. exactly right there with, with with kind of those timetables that if they don't know that and if they have a if, it's a, if that's a barrier to start with, then they can't then move on to the rest because either they can't get there, or the cognitive demands are so much that they have to think about those things in so much detail that you and I might just be able to click our fingers and and we know what 12 times 12 is or 8 times 6 is or whatever it is. To, 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 to students who are struggling with that it's going to create that that so much more difficulty isn't it in in, in terms of the task which means they can't get into anything else so whether it's as, whether it's in maths whether it's core knowledge in terms of capital cities in geography or whatever it is you know actually we need to know certain things in order to know other things and I think that was a, a great example there of if students don't know that yes we'll try and work with them on it but if there's a barrier there and and it's been identified let's just make sure that they've got it so that they can move on to the next kind of level and the next rung of that learning.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting you say rung there because I was just going to give the analogy of of one pupil had said to me, it's like climbing a broken ladder. And if the rungs at the bottom of the ladder are broken, there's no way you're going to get to the top of the ladder. You have to have those earlier rungs in place in order... For the children to get to the top of the ladder and that's what maths is like you know we we can't do year six maths if we haven't understood the year one maths
0: completely agree and and, and that's to say and lots of departments across the world now we're, we're looking at that core knowledge of those almost like a mind map of you need to know this to know this and like say, if like that like, like great example if that rung's broken or if that if that if that leg of the mind map isn't there then you can't know the rest of it because you don't know the first part of it so yeah exactly. but once you say it out loud it's completely obvious. But that's why these podcasts are great to actually bring some of that out loud and bring it to the forefront of people's minds again. So we go, yeah, we, we do need to do that. And and let's hope you know that, that it's spurring people into some action actually in, in their classrooms. So um, one final kind of question that I've been asking all of my kind of guests on the Send podcast series in the last few weeks. Uh, a bit of a soapbox moment, if you want, Judy, in terms of if there's one final kind of lasting message that you want to leave our listeners with on this subject about dyscalculia, what would it be?
1: Find out about it, (laughs) do some research, find out about it. Uh, Make sure that somebody in the school knows something about it. Um, And make sure, I guess the overriding message, which I would always say is have the equipment, have materials in front of the children so they can model the maths all the way through. If you look at countries like Singapore that are very, very successful in teaching maths, they have either visualisation through using things like the Singapore bar model or diagrams or pictures or actual equipment the whole way through. It doesn't just stop when they go into secondary school. So hands-on visualisation is the key.
0: Perfect. Brilliant. Well listen, thank you so much for a really interesting discussion today. And I've certainly learned a lot. Uh either if it's just the uh, you know, that kind of concrete manipulation or whatever it's I even I feel like I've I've definitely learned something. I know when I was Kind of researching for this as well it, it really struck me of, of how important this is across all those different subjects because of what we said about you know the different uh, mathematical elements that are not just creeping into our subjects across the board but actually are there to stay you know they're really kind of uh, fixtures in there so if our listeners have been as interested as i've been this afternoon julie then I, I'm, I'm here to tell them further helps at hand because you're running a training course for us up here at richmond school in north yorkshire on the 3rd of february uh, 2023 and all the details on how a book can be found on our training website yes at arete learning trust.net and that's yes y-e-s-a-t arete learning trust.net so yes at arete trust and then by clicking on the, the training and events tab and you can find all the information on how to book um, and i'm sure if, if like me you're as interested then it would be something you would want to get yourself or someone from your school on um, that you can then bring back to your school so yeah just a massive thank you for this afternoon uh, and for uh, educating me as well as our listeners
1: Thanks very much. It's been lovely to be with you and I hope to see you all at the training in February.
0: Thanks for listening to the ALT Learn podcast. We'll be back soon with another episode where we'll be speaking to more of our teachers and finding out how they're turning theory into practice. Until then, take care.